It's Friday, which means it's time to get in the weeds with a little GPP strategy. I have a truly honored guest, ETR's Drew Dinkmeyer, joining me today. We're going to walk through this week five GPP slate, get you caught up, all the angles you need to know to ship. Let's do it. I suffer from a debilitating condition known as atropic shockitis. Peter's one of the greatest depositors I've ever seen. Trust the process. Let's go. I got auto match with Levitan. This is bullshit. If I just go the other way in that 66, I win all the money. All the money. If I had 150 lineups, I'd win too. Process over results. Illuminati make a bitch go crazy. I don't know which one of these my baby. Bust out AP, close spot, bullets in your head like KD. Bust it, bust it, bitch go bust it. And I had 10 pints with me in Russia. Hey everyone. Drew Dinkmeyer, I think it was about last year around this time when we did this show because uh, you always got the welly maker kicking around NFL under our belts. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Uh, that last that last bit always kills me. The The podcast voice always just slays me uh, to this day. I can't help but giggle every time I see that. I feel like I'm running pure, like with the best ball intro, I had to update that one this summer because like the terminology and even the vocabulary <laughs> changed. Like the DFS stuff is like fairly evergreen. It, it holds up pretty well. Yeah. Um, yes, we got Dink in the house tonight. I believe JM is out canoeing or, you know, doing something with with hemp seed. Uh, who knows? But he will, he will be back next week. But I had to get someone who could fill his shoes. And that's, of course, Drew Dinkmeyer from ETR. Um, Alexander, I don't know if you're joking or you're serious. He says he quit my job today to play DFS full time. Let's fucking go. Um, whether you're trolling or serious, <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> uh, yeah. How is the, uh, how is the, uh, the Welling maker going? What year is this for? Is it? Six yeah, years? this is year six. Uh, so as Justin fan, so aptly put it yesterday, we are at six career Welling makers and Ben Simmons has five career three pointers. So <laughs> We'd like to just stay ahead of Ben each and every year. Um, but yeah, six six years in the books, we've raised over $500,000 during the course of, of this time. We're at 27000 so far this year. And uh, we're matching in $10,000 increments. So the next the ma next match point will be at $30,000. It's running through the end of the year. And the idea has always been uh, the Millie Maker really like changed my life and changed my financial situation. And so the idea has always been, you know, take one less chance at trying to change your own life and guarantee changing someone else's because it's about 20 to $30 to give somebody clean water for the rest of their life. So, yeah, it's a, it's a great cause. I even got an extra donation in last week. Did, do I see Smiz here? Yep. Here we yep. go. Smiz had to pay that. my cage match uh, <laughs> bet there. Um, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, charity drive that you run every year. And actually this just reminds me, you mentioned the Millie maker. Can you answer or debunk that you won the Millie Baker with your cash light up as, you know, sub ETR? Yeah. Or, or... <laughs> I mean, for God's sakes, I would never play Eli Manning in cash. Get the hell out of here. Of course it wasn't a cash lineup. I mean, back, back then though, like the stacks, I mean, this was 2014. Like I was innovative stacking Eli solo with Odell Beckham and no bring back um, and had like plenty of chalk in the lineup. So it looks, it looks like it could be a cash lineup, but there's a few differentiating pieces and it, Des Bryant was like sub 10% and really the difference maker for me. But there were like three guys above 20%. It was just a different game back then, man. Totally, totally different. That that type of lineup, I don't think, I don't think ships the Millie, you know, in these days. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know what I'm referencing, uh, last week on Establish the Show, uh, the weekly uh, paywalled show on ETR where Silva Wiggins and Levitan go through the slate. Silva, uh, he gets distracted uh, sometimes and started talking about Harry Douglas for some reason, saying he's a really dirty player, but Dink loves him. Uh, how that came up on the show, I, I still don't really remember, but that's the beauty of it. I do have a question um, <laughs> from Evan Silva for you that he specifically wanted me to ask, and I want to make yeah. sure I have the wording specifically right on this ask over Zet why he enjoys gaslighting the fantasy football community <laughs> and why are the ship chasers hell bent on ruining our great game? You know, you know how I know this is even a bit for Silva because <laughs> you know, uh, Damian Pierce scores a touchdown on Sunday. I had a tweet sometime in the summer, you know, making fun of people for, you know, basically drafting Rex Burkhead's backup. Silva starts going through and liking 
tweets from two months ago. I mean, does this guy not have anything better to do? I mean, the matchups column is down to like 400 words. And this guy's out here searching on Twitter, old tweets. Be better, Evan Silva. I love the pettiness. I love, love the pettiness. As a guy who has dedicated his life to uh, NBA content, that's the best thing about the NBA offseason and in-season is the pettiness. Um, yeah, just hopefully hopefully Silva will keep it to just favorites and not full-on blasting you like Draymond Green and Jordan Poole. Uh, and you do you do got to go find uh, the ETR media team continues to crush it. An awesome video featuring that Silva, Harry Douglas thing that Harry Douglas then responded to it, thought it was hilarious. I would have thought he's like, oh, you're calling me dirty. And he's like, yeah, oh, I love it. <laughs> no, he was good with it. It's amazing. Um, so how is your uh, DFS season going for you so far? Obviously, for anyone who listens to Establish the Millions, which you guys should be uh, every week, you are focusing more on MME stuff, but I'll still see you uh, in those spy and, and red zone streets with us hand builders. Yeah, I, and I do I do make some hand builds each and every week. It's been, it's been a, a solid season so far, like really slightly positive right now. I had, we were really on that, that Baltimore-Miami game that went nuts in week two or week, I guess it was week two. Yeah. Um, and that felt like a little bit of a missed opportunity. I only like three or four X that slate just because I just didn't have the right combinations. I had the Detroit Washington game and the Miami Baltimore game, but I didn't have it together. And so it's been a slightly positive week, uh, start to the season for me, but it felt like it could have been like, I could have already locked in a really good season. Uh, if I just found the right combos that week. It is. I know in previous years I've talked about it, and I know with some of our big like tilt space wins, we had those earlier on in the season. You know, like yeah. week five, week six. Like psychologically, that's just it's so, so much better. <laughs> it's so yeah. different. When you're playing from ahead, it's just it, it's it's one of the things that I don't know that gets talked about enough in DFS is like how much your mindset is going to impact the risks that you're willing to take. And I think when you're playing from ahead. You it can work in a negative way too, where you can get too far off the risk curve because you think you're a god and you're just like, oh, I know everything. Um, but I think generally, you know, it's easier to not play scared. And I think the biggest thing about GPPs is that the moment you start playing scared, you're just in a lot of trouble. And when you're playing from behind, which downswings happen for GP GPP players all the time, it's harder and harder to fight off the human instinct to get more and more scared that you're not good at what you're doing. And the chalk is the right thing to do. And it's just, it's it's really challenging. So if you get those banks early, it, it just, it creates a much, much easier rest of the season for you. And I think that dovetails too with having a process that, you know, that term gets tossed around a lot to me. How I define it is I'm doing, you know, the same things every week. I'm going through and looking, I'm building in the same way. And I'm not saying, oh, I'm playing more chalk this week because yeah. the chalk hit in the past two weeks. But I think that goes to what you're saying. Like, it is hard. Like I, I can already see it. Me getting on on Monday morning. Pete, you're an idiot for not playing a 30% owned Tyler Higby. He went off for 25 points. He's the only other pass catcher in this offense. What are you doing? And it's like, at least I know my process is going to be consistent. And I'm also going to yeah. fade Irv Smith as chalk yeah. when he fails too. Yeah, it's it's uh, super important. I see a comment in chat that therapy is great for DFS players. It is. Uh, it's great for everybody. But yeah, like I... <laughs> I, I, I do therapy and I've benefited a lot from it in, in my life, but just generally like understanding what's in your control and what's not in your control is, is really what this all comes down to. And that's why people say like, trust the process because you just got to understand what part of the game is in your control. Yeah. And of course there comes a time too. I talk about this with Brian Hooper on Lowell's a lot of like, well, when do you actually question your process, you yeah. know, and we work with such small sample sizes that it can you know, be hard. But I do think if you're, you know, one of the conversations we are on having on Monday and I want to, you know, talk to you about is how many projected points are you willing to sacrifice? And it's something, the reason I don't worry about my lineups per se is because I know I'm checking my yeah. projected points and I know how much I'm sacrificing off the optimal. And it's called, a, I think I've, Leone's mentioned it too. It's like a fun game we have. It's like who can build the <laughs> highest projected thing yeah. with the least amount of ownership. And so at least I feel confident with that process, but where are you at right now with the chalk and these optimal lineups hitting to how far off the board are you willing to go to, to give yourself first place equity? Yeah. It's sort of always it, a lot of the conversations around, DFS GPP strategy is, is sort of like a, a push and pull on a pendulum. And I've, I've written about this in the past, but it's sort of like if it, how much how much are you willing to sacrifice goes into how much uh, projected ownership you're willing to sacrifice as well. So like if if I can't get off, like if I can't get away from projected ownership in a really, really big way without sacrificing like 15, 10, 15 points, 
I'm actually okay with that as long as I've correlated it correctly and I understand where there might be where there might be like issues or just opportunities that the projections might not be might not be taking into account, which is one of the reasons I think doing projection work gives you a lot of experience in understanding fragility in, in projections and understanding input volatility and all these things that Leonie talks about. Um, so I will I will go further off if I feel like there's certain weeks where, you know, like Saquon 30% owned, Jamal Williams like 30, 40% owned, like those guys are projecting so much stronger than everybody. I'm naturally giving up points immediately the moment I get away from them. So it's it's a it's a range for me that I would say is generally generally around 10 is probably where I'm like, you know, on a hand build, I'm probably like, okay, I really got to feel good about this. Yeah. Um 10, 15. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the big talking points from last week was this Rashad Penny ownership, which just came yeah. in so much higher than any of us envisioned across all the sites. Like everyone yeah. had it projected sub 10%. I don't know if I did a good enough job explaining it on my Monday lineup show, because I still had multiple comments of he went for 30 points. How could yeah. you say it was a bad play? <laughs> how, how would you articulate why Rashad Penny at 5% is a great play versus 30%, even though he's getting 30 points in either outcome? Yeah. So the big thing is good plays and bad plays aren't established after the points. They're established after lock when you see the the, the roster ship percentages. And I mean, I was in Slack with Leone and he was like, I played terribly this week. Like he was talking about Penny. He was talking about a couple different situations. He's like, and this was at 105. He's like, I'm dead. Like I, like I played terribly. Maybe he runs hot and like hits the nuts on the chalk guys that he hits. But generally we kind of know as GPP players. Um, and so like, the way that I would describe a good play versus a bad play is you just have to kind of understand that so much of the money in these, in these contests is at the top. If the payout structures were a little bit flatter, I'd be more willing to play chalk, but they're just so concentrated at the top in the top 0.01% that you have to understand that when you play somebody that 35% of the field is on, if they do well, you go up with them. If they, if they, if they do poorly, you go down with them and you're, you're dead. And you, so you lose immediately if they do poorly because you're dead with everybody else. And you don't really win if they do well, because you're still with everybody else. So really the difference maker in almost every week in terms of GPV lineups are the players that are sub 10% owned that do really, really well. And do you have those? And you want to give yourself as many shots as you can at getting them because some weeks like week, I think it was week three, uh, or week two, week two or week three, where all the chalk like failed really, really badly. And it was a really low scoring week. I think it was week three. Yeah. Um, those weeks you can still win even when you don't hit your sub 10% own guys, if all the chalk fails and everybody else gets dragged down. And yep. so you're making a decision by playing chalk almost immediately saying like, I'm trying to match the field on this play and I'm trying to win with all my other plays. And I'd rather want more shots at winning with my, with my plays give me one more lineup spot to try to win, you know? Yeah. And I think this dovetails back with the psychological aspect. It, it sucks to lose most weeks. I know that for most of the season, even if my process is good, that I'm going to come on on Monday mornings and have yeah. to eat the shit on yeah. my lineup. It's a yeah. truly masochistic exercise. Levitan yeah. on the solo pod this week was saying how playing cash absolutely, absolutely helps his mental health aspect because well, one, he's absolutely destroying, but in general, yeah. <laughs> you're going to have, uh, you know, be winning, let's say even at worst every other week. And so to have that buffer, like I'm playing exclusively GPP, like I have to actively fight against that pit in your stomach. When you feel like I, I played poorly, like Leone said, I got dusted again but yeah. trust that you are building for top 1% outcomes. And that's why I think when I see so many comments, like I got, I got all kinds of TJ Hawkinson chirps last week <laughs> yeah. and no one, because people want to be right more than they want to win. None of these people yeah. were showing me their screenshots of first yeah. place. I bet they had lots of good min caches with yeah. TJ Hawkinson in their lineup. It's like, great. You're right. You identified the best play with 40 other percent of the field, but how is that actually accomplishing our end goal? Yeah, that's and that's the biggest thing about understanding the contest you play. And I actually I've been thinking about playing some cash just a little bit to like almost it wouldn't even be a meaningful percentage of my weekend, but almost just to get the chalk out of my system to just be like, oh, I have a lineup with these guys that I can root for. If all hell breaks loose and these guys are going off, I at least have something that's fun to sweat or whatever. Like I, I've almost considered I'd like I think I'm probably going to do that this week where I'll probably have like you know, 10 to 15 K out in GPP lineups and maybe like 
one or 2k out in cash and they'll just get the chalk out of my system like it'll be in there it's so funny because i've had a similar thought process like I, I chase like i'm probably mostly in like the 2k to 5k range for those spies in red zones yep. you know they have the 50k up top 100k at top like that's attractive to go after and i say all right p why don't why don't you play this 200 field contest like leone and Corain and those guys are really good at sticking to these small fields but even then it's not like you're getting comfortable with chalk. Like I watch how Leone plays the Thunderdome in those yeah. contests and he's arguably even more aggressive yeah. there than in some of that other stuff. So I do like that idea. Maybe I just need to enter the massive $50 double up. It'll make listening to the, yep. the Gil cast all that more enjoyable and we get the chalk out of our system. Exactly. I think that's the way that I'm going <laughs> to, that I'm going to do things now. And then, you know, by, by two 30 on, on Sunday afternoon, when all my GPP lineups are dead, I can just be like, okay, let's see if I can grind out, you know, my, my 7% ROI in cash. One other thing that I was doing a little more last year and I hadn't done this year is, you know, I'm looking at the, the ceiling and the cash optimals. Um, and you know, then you get a really good feel for what's the cash lineup going to look like. What are the popular chalk plays, but now running the, um, the lineups, but with some stack, um, restrictions so I can actually see what might be the GPP bro yeah, yeah. popular stack. And like, you start to learn a lot, like, I still think the the Tom Brady doubles this week are going to be popular, but when you pull in ceiling projections in force up, yeah, they're they're good. And then you're also seeing like you'll see like oh uh, an Andy Dalton double is showing up with Camara and Chris Olave, or you'll see a Hertz double looks good. And so I was talking in the Discord too about this idea of like trying to build out the cash GPP lineup, so to speak, of like what is going to be the most likely lineup, yep. and then because I think that might help us avoid some of the Rashad Penny type stuff that happened last week. I think that's I think that's a great example of basically what happened last week, which was people are more, so especially in smaller field stuff, people are more comfortable utilizing the idea of stacks and bring backs. Still in like Millie Maker stuff, like even in the slant, you're gonna get a large percentage that are stacks with bring backs. So you need to kind of understand that, okay, all, there's all this Detroit chalk. We've, we were talking about all week, Josh Reynolds, TJ Hawkinson, Khalif Raymond, for God's sakes, Jamal Williams, like everybody was talking about these guys. There's got to be players on Seattle that people are naturally going to want to play on the opposite side of them. And I think the assumption was it was going to be Lockett. There's, and then there was a question mark whether Penny or Metcalf. And so I saw people talking about both Penny and Metcalf as good GPV plays. And I played both of them last week. And I think you have to understand, especially with the way the running back position was, is just generally in the NFL right now, anytime that the running back is like viable in the, in the bring back situation, it's probably going to get bumped. And this is one of these things where the game keeps evolving. We talked about this last year a little bit where sometimes wide receivers get their ownership carried up when they're on a popular stack with a quarterback. I now think you're seeing this happen with bring backs and especially running backs because the running back position is just so uncomfortable to play week in and week out. Yeah. And, you know, easy also talking about, and this is a thing about a lot of ownership is, you know, set for large field stuff. I would say like, I, I look at uh, Osmos over at Stochastics and then I'll look at ETRs. And I feel like ETRs does a better job for the small field stuff. Cause I do think, uh, as I understand, Adam will go in and kind of factor yep. in some of that steam, but even then there still is almost a single entry three max premium that isn't really captured in basically any ownership set I see. Yeah. And I, I know, you know, it's something we've talked about. Let's put it that way in terms of like, how, how well could we do this and can we do it algorithmically? Well, because if you're doing it just manual, that's just adding a ton of hours and it's serving a smaller percentage of your consumer base. And so like, is it really worth it? And the challenge is obviously like in the, the smaller, the field, the higher the stakes, the more people are building while considering ownership projections. And so even if you had those out there for those smaller field sizes, you might be, you might be impacting things. There's a leveling aspect to all this stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly something that, and this is why Leone recommends like playing a contest over and over again. So you get a really good feel for how people are playing that contest against you. And you sort of just intuitively know and even when yeah. you think you intuitively know, you'll get stuff wrong. Like Mike was furious with himself for how he built last week um, because he just got stuff wrong on the ownership side. Yeah, and you mentioned the leveling. We've definitely talked about that. I mean, there's an even more meta element, though, for I think you and Leone and, and Hartman <laughs> last week where 
you know, the same dynamic plays out. The initial uh, projections for exposures are largely based on like optimizers and showing yep. out the optimal frequency that these guys, and that sets the baseline. And yep. then there's little movements, but I think we're so anchored to that early in the week. And so then the GPP content comes in as a response to that baseline. And so we're all reacting to this Rashad Penny early on, but if everyone's kind of consuming or thinking about it through the same lens, and then I was going to say for you guys specifically, like with the information at the time, you guys give your best picks and your best yep. angles, but that can meaningfully change how the field is playing specifically in the contest that a lot of us play in who consume this content. So like, how do you think about that? Like, I'm never saying like, you can't, are you like, do you flag plant Rashad Penny and then realize I can't play him? Like <laughs> that's an insane thing. And it's not yeah. to say that you guys are talking out of both sides of your mouth, but it's like yeah. a legit dynamic you need to think about. Yeah, I think the way that I try to, the way that I've tried to think about things, especially this year, and I think we've talked about this a decent bit on the show, is there's certain guys that have protection around them in the in the pricing that they're, and usually it's wide receivers because usually there's more good wide receiver plays than than other positions, but they have enough protection around them in the pricing that it creates a ceiling of sorts, and so even if they're above like. Like I see somebody talking about the Jamar Chase week against the Jets. I think he ended up coming in around like ten um, when he was projected for like three. But we like at ten, he's still fine. Uh, obviously, he's better at three, but at ten, he's still fine. And we're trying to find. I'm trying to identify guys that have some protection in the pricing around them that that they won't surprise me. It's usually going to happen at the wide receiver position because there's more plays there. At running back, it's really tough because really there's just not that many guys that people feel comfortable with each and every week. Um, but yeah, it's one of the challenges and you, I'm constantly thinking about trying to flag plant somebody that even if it gets steamed a bit, it won't get out of hand. Um, right. and that's, it's, it's a challenge for sure. And you can never make, you know, blanket rules, but I would say a good one using the Rashad Penny is if a player on a slate where there isn't a lot of value <laughs> also projects as a very good points per dollar play. Like that yeah. has steam candidate written all over it. Yeah. And I think we were all, myself included, incredibly naive to not think when we just have had very good or very few value plays this year. Like obviously, Penny, you toss that on with the macro narrative that no one wants to pay up for running backs in this landscape. It was like the perfect storm yeah. for chalk GPP play. Yeah, for sure. Especially given he was opposite the Detroit stuff. Like it just, it was one of those things where I, I so I played, I was traveling last weekend, which is why Gary was on the show. I played, I hand built like three lineups and played on Sunday morning. And I was like talking to Mike. And usually this is a really like canary in the coal mine situation. When I'm like, if I play MME today, I think I would lock Rashad Penny. That the, the thought that I have, the moment I have that thought, my thought shouldn't be whether I should continue that conversation. My thought should be he's going to be way higher owned than than we're projecting. Because if I'm thinking that way, I'm sure other people are as well. It, exactly. I had the exact same thought too, where I think I, I could use myself as a pretty good barometer for how most people are, are thinking. Uh, yeah. I just feel like I'm a pretty good middle IQ barometer for this <laughs> stuff. And I was jamming Rashad Fetch. Yeah. Like yeah. I should have known it. I even went on, on the, the Sunday morning cram, which I do for YouTube members. And I said, someone said, what do you think about JK Dobbins? And I go, I love it. I played him last week. I know I'm yeah. going to wimp out and not play him. And it's yep. like, that's the play. That's the instinct. The, in, the that's instinct, the instinct. That you have is pain. That's good. Go to the pain. Go to yep. the pain. A away from the comfort into the pain for GPP. It, it, that's so interesting too, because it goes back to that thing. We say we don't want to play scared. We know that we want to build it. And when you get the confirmation that you're, oh, Rashad Penny sub 10%. <laughs> It feels comfy. And so it's like you're trying to middle it. You're like, I get to play yeah. a smart GPP yeah. play while also feeling comfy, yeah. which isn't a thing. <laughs> That's my favorite thing like of do, doing like GPP content and projections over all the years is one of the first comments. When I used to spend a lot more time in like Slack and Discord interacting with subscribers, one of the first things right after lock is, why is this guy only 2% owned? Like, what am I missing? And I'm like, that's the reason we're playing him. He's 2%. You you're not missing anything. Like that's the point. And it's just, we want to feel like other people have the same ideas as us. Cause like you want to feel, you almost would rather see an 8% than a, than a 1% or a 0%. Cause right. you're like, Oh, this is low owned, but like other people are with me. And yeah. it's just, it's so, it's so the opposite of the way you should be playing. 
And, you know, so Pius Devil says, so isn't that going to be the good chalk, that instinct here? I think there's certain scenarios where it is. Like, I would say Rashad Penny's role, as much as we like him, I don't think that was good chalk in that there's lots of ways he fails. We've seen Pete Carroll use a third back like a DJ Dallas. We know Kenneth Walker's role is increasing. We know that he could get game scripted out. To me, like, if you want to say Barkley, like when he's chalk, yeah. like we know his role. Yeah. And same with TJ Hawkinson. How many yeah. times have we seen TJ Hawkinson fail? So I do think there is a distinction between good chalk, bad chalk there. I think so too. And it's also a distinction at like different levels. Um, like it's one, it's a guy's a different play at 20% versus 40%. Like it's just, a, it's a different, it's a different thing. So those guys in the running backs are usually the best versions of chalk because their workloads are usually more secure when you're betting on them. Um, like I think, Jamal Williams was pretty reasonable chalk last week. Um, I thought Rashad Penny at the same type of ownership is not as good because he he had more competition for carries in offense that we were more concerned about being successful. Uh, obviously, that concern was not an issue at all. But I, I think those are situations, and especially Penny doesn't have much of a passing game role either. So there's not much of a floor if it if it really you know takes away. And he yeah, and, and Ryan notes. Penny almost failed too. He had like eight yards at the half. It was looking, it was looking pretty ugly for Penny there for a while. And then he broke off long runs, which is what he does. And the one thing I was, someone asked me on the Sunday morning cram show, they said, if you were to stack this game or attack this game, how would you play it? And I said, I probably would have done something like Gino, Rashad, Penny, DK Metcalf, and then one bring back, probably not Jamal or Hawkinson. I probably would have done Reynolds. And that's a concept that I think JM is really good at. We call this show the the block party where he's saying you can capture these points. My mistake, like if you're playing Penny at that, um, that ownership, at least you're getting a low owned, you know, Gino in DK Metcalf around it and capturing a lot of points. Like the one off 30% chalk is really bad. bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask you about, like on this concept of steam, And, you know, I spent more time last Saturday fiddling around, trying to build practice lineups, really get a feel for the slate. But then always the push-pull of that is sometimes you get anchored to certain builds and you're more putting your head in the sand about some of that steam. I'm curious, like, how do you balance, like, getting a feel, running some of your 150 sets, but then also taking in new information as it comes in on Sunday morning? Yeah, one of the benefits for me is I don't have a lot of projection work on the NFL side of things. Most of my work is on the NBA side of things, so especially this time of the year. I have the opportunity to kind of like slowly digest things during the course of the week. And I don't even touch a build. I don't even like touch an optimizer or look at builds generally until Friday night or Saturday morning, like right before ETM, just to understand a little bit more how people are building. I'm thinking more about players and individual ownerships and different things like that. And then I really don't even start like my MME builds until Saturday night. So I'm taking into account most of the content before I've even like looked at stuff. And then Sunday morning, there's occasional things that I think get steamed, but usually by Saturday night, I have like a pretty good feel on stuff. And the general consensus for me is just, you know, if I, if I feel really comfortable with something, it's likely other people are feeling really, really comfortable with it. And I need to think through like how, how I want to, how I want to be different. And that's, it's one of the things that like got me a little bit in week two, because I was really comfortable with Detroit, Washington. And I was really comfortable with Miami, Baltimore being the differentiator. So I didn't put them together. <laughs> and that was one of the things where I like needed to put them together. I ended up having them separate, but I think generally I'm reacting to individual players or, st- or stack combinations in steam on Sunday morning with like, I'm trying to think like last week, I just like, I got away from a couple situations entirely. I ran a really tight player pool um, and was just like, I, I'm, I played a ton of Herbert essentially. Cause I was like, that's the one thing that I know isn't getting steamed. Um, and so I will, I will just kind of lean in a little bit more. I will basically adjust my exposures up on the things that I'm pretty confident aren't getting steamed and naturally take some of the things that might be. Are you still putting like rules in for a max amount of cumulative or product ownership and or max a play sub 5%? Yeah, so I still have rules in on max uh, cumulative ownership. I It's not the same number every week though. So that's the caveat yeah. is I adjust the number based on how I'm looking at you know projections and, and what the lineups look like to me. And then I make sure that I have at least two players, two players that are not a quarterback or a defense uh, that are sub 10%. Because uh, most defenses that I'm going to play, I usually do not play the chalk defenses very much. So most defenses I'm going to play are sub 10%. So I just don't want them counted in the equation. Uh, so generally it's wide receivers and 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 
running backs and tight ends that end up being my like low own differentiators. Yeah. And I assume again, like a little easier to, um, you know, if you're pulling in updated ownership and you're letting the the machine, yeah. <laughs> you know, or the solver, whoever use that, it makes it a little easier than, you know, I'm manually updating in my spreadsheet. And sometimes when push comes to shove, it's like, you know, the different providers update ownership at different yeah. times. And it, it can be easy to be like, eh, this is close enough. I'll just build how it is. Yeah. And, and I think the, the big key for me is I just want to make sure I have a couple different point, points of differentiation in the lineup. And you can do that hand yeah. building too. You can like just instinctively. Uh, but I, the reason I say it's a different number every week on the cumulative ownership stuff is because I'm looking through my sets and I'm like, okay, like I'll just look, I won't look at the individual lineups as much. I'll look at my exposures to players and I'm like, okay, I'm getting literally none of the chalk. And do I want to make that type of stance? Or do I think this player is like somebody that is reasonably going to be in the, in the optimal lineup, like 20% of the time, and they're going to be 35% owned. I, I probably should have some. Um, so it's stuff like that, where I just, I, in usually some weeks I like in playing none, like the, the, the uh, David Montgomery, Leonard Fournette chalk week. I was like, I'm literally yeah. xing these guys out. Uh, yeah. But some weeks like Jamal Williams last week, I'm not, I, I wasn't xing him out. Um, so it, 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 that's why I move the number around is because some weeks I don't, I can afford the number to be higher if I'm going to get exposure to these guys. And I think that's the thing I've been struggling with and I've gotten pushback or, you know, Pete, your two galaxy brain, etc. Like you can, you can definitely play some chalk in this lineup. And I'm not disagreeing with that conceptually. People almost think that I'm like trying to avoid duplicates in a 5,000 person content. It's like, that's, <laughs> I know I could, I could do that with one differentiated yeah. play, but I'm yeah. asking myself, what is my best path to first place? And I said last week, my best path to first place is this lion's environment and TJ Hawkinson and Jamal Williams failing. And yeah. so it wasn't that I'm just like, no chalk, no chalk, no chalk. It was like, I don't think that's good chalk. I don't think that's my best path to first place. Yeah. And I felt that way too. I limited to one lion per lineup last week is basically mm -hmm. what I did, which was a death nail right off the bat. Right. Cause like all of them went off <laughs> except Khalif Raymond. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, so, but that's, that's the stuff that I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of as well as like, what's, What's the path that makes the most sense to me um, in terms of how I can how I can ascend a leaderboard? Yeah, Joe asking about you know projected ownership. Most of the sites do it. I really think ETR's uh, ownership projections are the best. I think they're really really sharp and they have that perfect algorithmic side with the finesse that Adam is just so good at. And um, I like looking at one week season. I like looking at stochastic. I'll aggregate a lot just to get a feel for what is the field doing. And what idea we were talking about in the discord on, on Monday when we were really going through our DFS GPP therapy was this idea of trying to create more of a steam index of looking at the most popular yeah. GPP content providers and, you know, basically you could just probably make a manual adjustment. All right, Rashad Penny got flag planted on established the millions. Let's add five more percentage points. Yeah. We still would have been off, but it would have gotten yeah, yeah. a little closer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think um, it's probably reasonable to expect there to be like a three to 5% bump on most of these guys. I mean, it depends on how low they're coming from, but generally, generally, I think that's a pretty good expectation. And uh, this is also a good point that these guys are making. There are certain players that the field just generally, whether from, you know, tastemakers who uh, waged a war against uh, dusty running backs, you know, there are certain players like, like they said, Adam Thielen is never fun to play. And you can kind of know if you, if you hang out on Twitter, if you listen to enough podcasts, I could go through a list and tell you, yeah. you know, hive mind approved hive mind. hate. like there are those, yeah. that gut feel on some of those. Yeah, for sure. Um, basically any old, any old player. <laughs> well, and look no further than Kyle Pitts, right? Yeah. I mean, if you were just looking at stuff in a vacuum and in usage and didn't understand his talent profile and how excited everyone was about him as a prospect, like you'd be like, why, why are people playing this guy at a 20% clip? Like it would make yeah. no sense to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's one of these situations where we, we get infatuated with, projecting efficiency like projecting elite efficiency and at the end of the day it's harder to project than volume <laughs> yeah. and and if you can find good volume at low owner like volume and ownership are the things that are the easiest to project mm -hmm. uh the hardest thing is the efficiency and the efficiency is often what ends up being the different differentiator mm -hmm. but people tend to be overconfident on their ability to project the efficiency yep yeah. And, and it, just to kind of put a button on this like leveling meta element, 
if you think about, you know, most sites, you guys like are doing their GPP content on Friday or say Saturday mornings. Yep. Sure. There's some like updated last minute stuff. I do my stream. There's wake and rake, but the content, the GPP content, if it was done, let's say an hour before lock would look different than our Friday content. Like I think about the plays I talk about or the lineups we build on a Friday. And then I think about that same lineup at Sunday, an hour before lock. I think about the slate in a completely yeah. different way over that 48 hour span, which is a good inclination that you need to almost use some of that. Like we're trying to solve the puzzle as it exists right now. And the puzzle is going to be different in 48 hours. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Let's let that, you know, people want the plays, you know, uh, someone in the chat was getting restless. They didn't want us to talk about week four. This is the kind of stuff that I find most beneficial trying to tweak my process, trying to get better, but we do need to talk about this week five slate. No games dink with a projected over under uh, over 50. So we have some, you know, big implied team totals with with heavy favorites. Where is your kind of bird's eye view of of this slate? Is this uh, you want to get kind of concentrated on a single game, try to nail that Lions, Seahawks, Ravens, Dolphins? Or is this a pick our spots kind of slate? I think it has the potential to be that um, there's, there's a few games that you know, I think in today's NFL, there's like pretty much any bears game. You can almost immediately cross off the way that they're playing in terms of like running, running, you know, 60% of the time. Um, so I think there's spots that you can pick a, a player from, but stacking is going to be really, really tough. And I think the chalk immediately that stands out is going to be new Orleans, Seattle, Tampa Bay, Atlanta, um, and then probably Philly, Arizona would be yeah. like, feel like the three games that people are going to gravitate towards the most. Uh, oh, I, and Jets, Dolphins, Jets, Dolphins, people are going to play too. Um, so those are the four games. Any other game, I think you're good. If you want to, if you want to game stack or do anything like that within those four games, I think you need to then kind of whittle down, like which of those games do you think is good in terms of the chalk versus bad in terms of the chalk? And I will say that the first thing that stands out to me is, the idea that in the year of our Lord, 2022, Geno Smith versus Andy Dalton on a main slate with, you know, 10 games or 12 games or whatever could, could be chalk is shocking to me. Um, so that's like a first game that I'm sort of like Xing out and being like, if this beats me, it beats me, but I'm not chasing, I'm not firing into ownership with these two quarterbacks who don't have a history of being elite quarterbacks. Um, so that's kind of my like, first kind of over bird's eye view of stuff. Yeah. When I, uh, I mentioned, I did, you know, force a quarterback, two players on his team with a bring back. And the top lineup was the Andy Dalton yeah. with Camara Olave and bring it back with, uh, with Tyler Lockett. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, man, it, it obviously projects well, but one, are people actually going to pull the trigger on Andy Dalton again, doing just kind of the vibes check. It feels to me like people will feel way more comfortable playing Teddy Bridgewater then they will play Andy Dalton. I agree. Um, I think there's going to be more mini correlation in the Seattle New Orleans game than people like full on stacking it. But I think the individual plays like Alave, Lockett, Camara. Camara is an interesting one because the role just hasn't really been there this year. And I was surprised to see that he was projecting pretty well from an ownership standpoint as well. Um, yeah. He's the one that I think is a little tricky, but Alave and Lockett, I think, are, are going to be pretty heavily owned. Um, I the roles are it's, really, really strong. And I think that again, getting inside the mind of the GPP bro, it's like, yeah, I'm not doing Dalton, but I'll play this lock at Olave mini. It's just, right. it unlocks right. a lot there. Yeah. Um, the other, the other one that was interesting to me when I locked it with quarterback, I, I thought for sure I was going to get a ton of Brady and there was only a teeny bit of Brady there. To me, it just seems like the Tom Brady, with Fournette, Godwin, maybe you mix in Evans, you bring it back with Drake London. That feels well, like the, the comfiest. Have, are yeah. you looking at projections that have pulled Kyle Pitts yet? I don't know. Like that, the news came out, you know, a couple hours ago that he's not in. And I think that will impact the projection. There's a lot of projectable volume available, even if they're yeah. in you, that you think they're going to have to throw this week because of the game situation. But I think, I think that's going to be popular. Um, I do. I, I feel very confident that Tampa Bay is going to score a lot of points though. So yeah. I'm not necessarily running away from it is, is what I would say, but I, I would be pretty thoughtful, like a Brady double with Drake London in like these main tournaments. I, I think it's going to be played a lot. Yeah. My, my first gut instinct on it is if you are doing it of like, just don't force the bring back. Um, yeah. 
Agreed. Uh just because we know Tampa Bay can get there um yep. without getting pushed. So that was my first read. The one like the projections on it seems like the people like this Eagle spot. They finally think maybe the Cardinals can press them. And then I'm seeing Marquise Brown, 6%. I'm seeing uh, Zach Ertz at 7%. And I was like, bullshit. The, one of these guys is going to be heavily juiced as the bring back coming back and in, in Hertz double stacks. It's going to be Rondell Moore on DraftKings. Ooh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I know this because that's literally the first thing that I built. Like, so the first thing that I build is is going to be the instincts of, I was like, oh, you know, Rondell Moore, I don't really want to play Ertz. I don't really want to play James Conner. They're kind of dusty. Marquise is pretty expensive. I get squeezed a little bit. So it's like, oh, who, and and so I was, I looked and then we have, we have Rondell projected for like 15% ownership or whatever. But I think that's going to be, that's going to be the common way that people are going to build a, a bring back from, from Arizona side of things. The only thing. I didn't know if it would keep it in check. He missed practice Wednesday. He had limited practice yesterday. We'll have yep. to see how it's trending today. To me, that seems like a really nice spot. Like I'm, I, I've been burned so many times by Rondell Moore, and even just trying to be unemotional about it, like his role, like him being very the different. guy you need. Like whereas Marquise Brown or Zach Ertz can have a two touchdown game. I don't even know if that's in Rondell Moore's range of outcomes right now. <laughs> well, they at least were. He had an A dot greater than ten, so it was a very different <laughs> role, though the way that he was used. So there's the hope that like, yeah. And I mean, at Purdue in college, he was used down the field quite a bit and was, was really, really, really good. So I see the hope, but yeah, he's because he's cheap and because he's a part of that bring back, I, I think he's going to be pretty, pretty well rostered by the field. One game we didn't talk about that. I also think I could see getting some GPP steam or, or maybe you did mention it, but, uh, Chargers Browns, I could see. So that's the one. That's the one that I like. Who who are people going to play from the Browns? I uh, right. Um, maybe Najoku. Uh, I guess would yeah. be the. And no one's playing Chubb at eight K. I'll tell you that nobody's playing Chubb. I don't think Herbert gets out of control. I think he's mm -hmm. a guy that because he's just priced in a, a range where he's like cheap enough to play and be excited about, but also like his stack pairings, like Mike Williams, like we're projecting him for like 1% ownership. So yeah. I think it, I, I agree with you that I think it's like, it's the first game that I thought of, of the ones that I didn't list that I was like, that's a game that I probably need to play. Mm -hmm. But when I was making the lineups, I was having a hard time doing it. Like people were comfortable playing Cleveland guys against Atlanta you know, because Atlanta's defense is pretty leaky. I don't know if they'll be as confident playing them against the Chargers, um, even though the Chargers have had, you know, injuries like the Chargers always seem to have, seem to have. Um, so, yeah, I that but that game like Mike Williams, Nick Chubb, the price tags are just like annoying enough that I think it keeps a ceiling on what the ownership's going to be, even if it becomes like the natural pivot. I think it's still sub 10 percent on most of those guys. Yeah, I'm looking at like the top 26 or 27 guy wide receivers by ceiling projection. And outside of Terry McLaurin, Mike Williams projects as the worst points per dollar play just at yeah. that. Yeah. And so, yeah, and I, I do think you'll probably get a little carryover. People playing Eckler coming off that big game. I agree on Eckler, okay yeah. About his role. But yeah, maybe, maybe that falls into that territory of we identify it as the sneaky GPP game. But when you actually go to start building, like it's the very pieces do not come together well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's the case. Um, the interesting one to me is I, you know, early on, Allen and Diggs are projecting for decent ownership for us because, you know, they, those guys have incredible ceilings. Buffalo's got a 30 point implied total at home. Um, but the question for me is like, how do you, how do you play those guys if you're playing them? I, I think you almost have to bring back a, a Steelers guy as like a low, lower owned option, Pickens, Deontay um one of those guys in, in that scenario and, and i think you either have to do that or, or not play it whereas like the brady situation right we're saying you can avoid the bring back because the bring back's probably coming with ownership unless you're talking about like the running back spot in atlanta mm -hmm. that's not coming back with ownership but if it's drake london that you're going to is the bring back you're you're building in a lot of ownership whereas the buffalo side on buffalo pit i think alan diggs might carry some but the bring backs on pittsburgh i i don't think will garner a ton of attention yeah, my guess, just looking at this, and obviously Dawson Knox ruled out uh, yeah. today. I think you'll see Josh Allen to Diggs with like the Pickens bring back. I think that will be the comfy yeah. way to play that game. Yeah, and Pickens right now, we have him projected for like 
half a percent ownership at 4,300. Deontay Johnson at at two and a half. I mean, that number is going to get moved. Like, I think Pickens will be five to seven, but I don't think he's getting to 12 to 13. Yeah. Yeah, and I, th- I saw some people mentioning Pat Fryermuth. I could see him being the other bring back just at 4,100. And people like the bring back at the tight end spot because it just kills a position that you don't want to deal with, you know? Yep, yep. Um, yeah, this this one will be interesting. Where are you at? Like, I've been so um, frustrated with Kyler and them. We were just talking about Rondell Moore. Yeah. Um, we are talking about, you know, James Conner. I believe he popped up in the uh, by Leone model again for the second straight week. I mean... It, can you? Is there anything we can do uh, with this team? I don't know a model that Leone's created that doesn't have James Conner near the top of it. So, <laughs> yeah. um, doesn't surprise me that the by Leone model is also recommending him it's some yeah. kind of bit that he's doing with James Conner over all these years. Kyler, you know, they l- let him run a little bit the last the last few weeks. I think that's really necessary. I'm of the opinion. So I love Philly this year, just generally, which I think everybody does now that they're undefeated, you know, and enrolling people. But I think their defense is very good, too. And so I've been in spots where, like, I was playing them a lot the first few weeks. And then when they got to that game, I think it was against Washington, I've been playing them more without bringbacks coming back. Because I, I think they're they're willing to push the pedal on offense and just keep driving yeah. points up in the way that Tampa Bay has in the past. But I think their defense is pretty legit. And so um, I'm looking at that game as a, a situation similar to Tampa where I might not bring it back. And I Kyler at 1% is just always going to be fine as a GPP play. But it's, it's, it's very uncomfortable. So it's yeah. probably good, but... I I mean, I included in my MME pools, but he's not made a hand build for me yet this year. Let's talk a little bit about running backs before we build a lineup here. We've mentioned uh, Kamara. It's I believe I saw a stat that it's the lowest tag he's had on DraftKings since 2017, uh, which is which is absurd at 6600. It looks like the GPP bros will go to him. We mentioned Fournette. He's going to be popular. I think. The mega chalk cheap running back this week is going to be Jeff Wilson Jr. at fifty five hundred. Do you do you track with that? Yeah, that that looks like the case to me. Him and Brees Hall look like the two guys that that are going to be pretty popular. Uh, Brees Hall's you know great prospect. Looks like he took over a bigger portion of the workload last week. Has a big passing game role. Um, so yeah, I think in the Dolphin side of things, like Bridgewater, we were talking about Bridgewater is probably going to get utilized. Um, unless there's something weird where, like, I know Jalen has been, like, limited at practice, and I know there was something that came up on Tyreek today. Unless there's something weird where one or two of those guys aren't available, uh, Teddy's going to get owned just because of the wide receivers pulling him up. Yeah, and it seems like, again, the game this week is one of these, like, good plays in the 5,500 to 6,500 range is going to get squeezed in the way Josh Jacobs and Damian Pierce yeah. got squeezed last week. And it's just guessing. It's like, did people get burned by Khalil Herbert last week and don't go back to him? Are people worried about a negative game script for Damian Pierce? Do people just forget about Devin Singletary for the fifth straight week in a row? Like, I feel like there's a really good value play in this range. I just don't know where the, the ownership is going to shake out. Yeah, I think people will look to the New England situation right after Rashad Penny hammered Detroit. Um, New England's going to be playing, you know, with with Bailey Zapp or whatever, at quarterback, whatever yeah. that is. Uh, so I think Damian Harris and, and uh, Ramondre Stevenson will probably get um, a little bit of attention as well. Uh, the guy that I think is really, really strong for GPPs and, this is interesting. I see Clay asking about this game in, in the chat, but, and I'm interested to see if this is the guy that gets steamed um, is James Robinson. Yeah. Because his role has been really good when they play from ahead and they're seven point favorites here or something like that. They've got a strong implied team total at 25. We've seen him show the ceiling. And while ETN has, you know, some grasp on, on the um, two minute stuff and, and passing down work, Robinson has been used enough in the screen game to contribute on the passing side as well. So I, he, his number, he stood out to me as lower projected ownership than I anticipated given the situation. So we'll see if he's a guy that could get steamed. Yeah. I I put him on the cover uh, for this too. And it, to me, it just was like, it seems so obvious with Eckler just smashing them that, you know, Texans definitely so far through this season, the worst team against running backs. And I, I, I mean, I know Travis Etienne played more snaps than him, but that seemed kind of game script 
dependent. I kind of like both of those Jags yeah. running backs. Like it seems to me that like this could be the week that Brees Hall had last week where you see the usage bump for ETN in a really good spot. Yeah, uh, totally agree. And, and, and I, so I'm just interested to see where, where the ownership comes in on those guys. Cause they look, they look like really strong plays to me. And then um, Wiggins is, is really interesting. Raheem Mostert, which I get because the workload was so good. I, there's a part of me though, that I, I have this narrative story that I'm telling myself on how Mike McDaniel is using the running backs because the usage has been pretty inconsistent. It's like flip-flopped weeks. I kind of think he may have done that intentionally knowing they had a short week, right? And like let Edmonds get the bulk of the work and then on the short week, then flip it to Mostert getting the bulk of the work. And I just don't know if that's a trend or if that's a coach making a what would seem to me to be a pretty logical decision when you have two guys that you don't feel strongly one's way better than the other that you kind of sort of rest one for each game in that two game window that they had two games within four days or whatever. Um, but I, he's 5k and yeah. you expect Miami's offense to be successful. So I, I get it. I'm just, I'm, I'm not sure that they're that what we saw on that Thursday night game against Cincinnati is indicative of what we're going to see going forward. Yeah, and I just don't know. Yeah, if he has the role, like, in, you know, there's some of these players where you know they have 30 points within their range of outcomes, and it's just like I don't know if Mostert with his role yeah. and at this level, if he, if he has that there for him. Which, speaking of guys with 30 points, like, is this going to be the field? There's no way Rashad Penny does this again. I mean, 300. <laughs> Kenneth Walker. We'll have to see what he was today. He was on the injury report yesterday. I mean, my God, this might this might be the spot again. Yeah, I. I'm very interested to see how the field treats him. <laughs> like yeah. I'm a little, I'm a like, I'm a little spurned after last week that the field got on him so heavily that it could happen again. Uh, but he obviously has a very, very big ceiling with the way he cranks off long runs. Yep. Um, all right, let's build a lineup here. We do of course have our DraftKings uh, rake free contest, the deposit kingdom weekly league. We bumped it up to 400 this week. We have 343. So normally this is much closer to filling. I bumped it up a little over 50 spots remaining. That link is in the discord, the deposit kingdom discord. I have it in the announcements section. Highly recommend hopping in there. Rake free tournament. If you want to play the best plays, do it in the Deposit Kingdom Weekly League because the Galaxy Brainers are out in <laughs> full force. You can play the cash optimal at really low percentages. Come on in. Um, Dig. so yeah, normally, you know, with JM, like kind of talking through the lineup building process, I know you are more of an MME guy, but we're going to have to get some calluses on yeah. those hands of yours. Where would you like to start? It could be a stack. It could be a mini. It could be a one-off, just kind of the, a place to kick us off here. Yeah, well, I feel like if I if I was to put my JM hat on, uh, the tweet and all, I think, um, I think where, what he would be thinking of is, you know, the blocks of points with a team that might be a little bit on the contrarian side. And the team that would do that at a reasonable price point to me would be Jacksonville where you could mm -hmm. do like Lawrence, one of the backs and Kirk, um, and just hope that this team scores 35 points on a given week. I think that's where JM would go like immediately. Um, well, so, I, want, I want the Drew Digmeyer experience, but, uh, yeah. So it doesn't have to be that one, but like, yeah, along that, that line of thought, if there's a start you like for us here. So I think that's interesting. I, I think my quarterback pool will be very narrow this week. Um, just generally. So I think I will, I don't think I'll have exposure to Josh Allen, mm -hmm. um, at the projected ownership that he has. I will have some Brady. I will have some Hertz. I will have some Trevor Lawrence. Um, I will have some Herbert and mm -hmm. I probably will have Kyler some in MME, but probably not hand builds. Um, and I think that's really it for me from a quarterback perspective. I'm not playing, I don't think I'm going to play Gino. I think there is a chance that Gino can, could get a little bit of steam. Uh, yeah. you were saying that the Andy Dalton doubles were kind of coming through. Gino's only $300 more. So like I could see people being like, I'm not comfortable with this with Dalton, but I am with Gino, uh, yep. after what Gino's done. So probably not going to play him and Bridgewater, probably not going to play, um, I have to think about that one a little bit more, but he's, he's a little cuspy to me. And then there's nobody else that I would consider. Um, so who, who of those guys overlaps with, with, with stacks or situations that you're interested in attacking? I think it'd be fun. We were just talking about how that chargers Browns game looks interesting, but it's hard to build. Why don't we try yeah. to make something yeah. work with that? Let's do it. So 
I, I assume it's, it's like almost impossible to do a Herbert stack without Mike Williams, right? I agree. Yeah, I agree entirely. I and would so be double you're... stacking Herbert with Mike Williams and then one of Everett or Palmer. Um, yeah. Who I don't think either of them are going to attract much attention this week. Like that. that's why I think this, like it's just none of these guys are comfortable to play with Herbert. And even though his price tag is good, there's other guys around him. So I don't like... When people say this is going to get steamed, I yeah, maybe it gets steamed like five to seven percent, but I don't think it's getting steamed like ten to fifteen. Like I would be shocked. Yeah, it is. It's super hard to build. I I think uh, not to put on my my film grinder hat. I, I think Josh Palmer sucks. So let's let's put in <laughs> Gerald Gerald Everett into this lineup and burn the tight end spot here. Let's do it. Um. So then the big question here, um, you know if. The I feel like the Chargers aren't quite the Bucks or the Bills in that I think for us to win this tournament with a lineup like this, we probably need a Brown to push us. I think so too. The good news is, um, I mean, really, the good news is outside of Njoku, none of them are carrying any projected ownership at all. Yeah. So, you know, you can kind of like, I mean, we have Chubb at two, Amari at two, Hunt at half, Donovan Peoples-Jones at half. Like, you can pretty much pick anybody. Um and get and get more low ownership on this game. I tend to think you want a scenario. Generally, I think you want a scenario where the Chargers are playing from behind, because I think yeah. that's what kind of racks up, ratchets up their pass rate. And so I would play Chubb in this scenario. I don't I want the that... scenario that Cleveland's playing from or that uh, Cleveland's playing from behind because I don't know that they can be efficient with Jacoby Brissett playing from behind. I think the Chargers right. can. So yep. that's that's why I would lean Chubb in this scenario, which again, the build is going to be tight from a pricing perspective after that. It's going to be very tight. And that's why a lot of people in the chat were suggesting Hunt because Hunt yeah. helps you get the cheap piece, which I definitely get. But I, I kind of, I, I more side with your logic of getting this game script where Cleveland's up and then the Chargers are chucking. So now we're going to have to save some money. Why don't we get like a defense in here just so we know what we're working with. You know, I yeah. think we're, we're so, not going to be able to pay up for defense on this lineup. And I would also note, I think, so I'm very interested in your thoughts on this. I was, you know, when I was prepping before the show, I thought to myself, Dallas defense is just like the easiest click in the world yep. after what you've seen Stafford. Our projected ownership is like 19 on them. It's very different to me if they're 19 or 20 or if they're 40. <laughs> and I'm a right. little bit concerned this could be the Cincinnati situation all over again, where they're like 40 to 50, because the rest of the cheap Ds are really not exciting at all. Um, so I'll, I'll give you one at the exact same price pivot. Andy Dalton in his first career start. If yeah. that game's chalky, you get a little leverage in the direct pivot I think that, there. Yeah, I think that's a great play. Um. And we can always, if we end up having extra or need to go down. So this gives us 5,200. You know, we're obviously going, we're still going to need like, what, a sub 5-5 five, five running yeah. back and yeah. probably one value wide receiver to make this work. Yeah, most likely. Um, on the running back side of things, this is where like we're in a position with this lineup that if you think a running back is really good chalk and you like really love them like Jeff Wilson Jr. or something like that. I think it's reasonable to play them yeah. um, because you've, you've in, insulated yourself from a lot of chalk at other spots. Um, I don't, I don't know that I feel that confident about him. <laughs> so right. he would not necessarily make that, make that build for me, but like Brees Hall, Damien Harris, Ramondre Stevenson, those guys who are going to be like 15 to 20%. I'm fine playing one of those guys here. Um, I was going to ask that, that, like, what's the break-even point for you? Because I do think Brees Hall is going to be kind of one of those steamy guys that, like, yeah. looks kind of sneaky but isn't sneaky. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it feels like one of those where you're like, shit, I would have just played Jeff Wilson at 25 if I knew Hall was going to be 20. Yeah, I don't – so we've got them projected, like, a point and a half apart. So, you know, I think if they were exactly the same, obviously I'd want Wilson. Um, but we've got their ceiling – I guess we've got their ceiling projection a little bit wider on, on that note. That feels a little bit off to me because Hall's efficiency is hard to peg this early in his career, yeah. but I think he's going to be very efficient. But I would say as long as he's within, you know, as long as there's like a three percentage gap, I'm, I'm fine with it. So I'm, I'm totally fine playing Brees Hall. Yeah, let's put Brees Hall in. And then to me, and tell me if you disagree, but I'd really like to kind of mini correlate him with a Dolphin here, yeah. just knowing how concentrated they are. I mean, obviously it's, it's Waddle yeah. or 
Tyreek. Did you have we gotten an update on Waddle? I know he missed a practice on on Wednesday. Is he back to being good? I did not see anything come through yet today, but I admittedly was in the head in the weeds on NBA. Um, but he would be he would be my first instinct on guy to play, even though I would say that I have some small concerns. Like I was on Tyreek week one because Waddle was banged up in the preseason, and I had some I just generally playing guys who are like legit questionable is usually like usually not great. <laughs> um, right. They usually underperform projections, but Waddle would be the guy because you can't fit stuff otherwise. Like Tyreek's 8,000, it gets really tight. On yeah, Tyler the- mentioning Waddle still limited with a groin with a weird comment from McDaniel. So it's it's definitely uh, something to to watch here. Yeah, um, and, if, and if he's out, I mean, they might open up some value there that people are not, like nobody's clicking Wilson. Trent Sherfield. Sherfield. For Sherfield. Yeah. yeah, nobody like even though he's thirty three hundred, I don't think if Waddle was out, I don't think he'd get a lot of attention. I think he'd get like you know six percent something like that. So he'd be he'd be fine as a build there as well. Let's just for the sake of this lineup leave Waddle in. I just don't really think we have the luxury yeah. to get up thirteen hundred more to Hill here with mm-hmm. forty five hundred remaining. Is this a spot you might be gravitating toward, like a stud and a dud, or maybe trying to more middle it? I'd be trying to more middle it um, personally, and I'd be looking at, you know, situations where like just looking through and trying to see where is there a good projection in reasonable ownership and what's like an offense that I want to attack. Yeah. And, and I think the first, you know, I see some people saying Shakir in chat, which I think is, is viable, but the guy that stands out to me is the guy who has been Trevor Lawrence is arguably his favorite target this year in Zay Jones. Knew you were going there. Yeah. Um, that one looks good to me too. You have him missing last week, kind of the out of sight, out of mind thing. They're definitely needing to save some money. I think that play makes a lot of sense. And that's the other side of the Q tag, right? Like it can be, yeah. if they're legit questionable. And by the way, just an update, because we were talking about Rondell Moore, there was a report Cliff saying he's a true game time decision. So Fantastic. that's going to make, make building for that game really interesting. Um, but yeah, I was just going to say, sometimes the Q tag or coming off of a missed game, like that's where you actually yeah. get the built-in exposure discount. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, and then if you want to correlate that game, right? Like you've got Nico Collins at 4,100 as another cheap guy. And then you can spend up at D like if you wanted to go that route to like close it out, you know? Yeah. And I'm just putting this one in my spreadsheet just out of curiosity to see. Um, so like to give you guys an example, I put in like the optimal, it had a 205 ceiling projection mm-hmm. with 142 cumulative ownership. This lineup we just built, and I haven't upgraded at defense actually. So what would we go yeah. up to if we did do Nico? 3,300 on D? Yeah. Um, Let me see here. 3,300. Oh, you could, you could go the other way on that Saints, on that Saints game. Um, oh, go Saints. Yeah. 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 Gino implosion here. Um so if we did this, this gets us up to 178. So this one is get, giving uh 27 ceiling projected points, which is it's a decent amount. It's a it's decent, a decent amount, amount to be giving up. Yeah. It's giving up a lot. It's getting a lot of low ownership. Like so it's going from 142 yeah. cumulative to 49. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. So like that's why yeah. it's a pendulum, right? Like 10 yeah. to 15 is what I'm usually building on hand builds that I feel really good about where I'm playing some ownership. Once I get down to this level where I'm playing this much ownership, I'm actually okay giving up 25-ish, like 20, 20 to 25, because you you just know that if it hits, you you are winning. Like, yep. like it's very clear. Also, the other thing I would say is that um, it's really hard to math Nick Chubb. He's just like, he's, he's a very hard player to math on the ceiling side of things because yep. his efficiency is already so high that it's hard to project like, even more on the ceiling side of things, but he, he has it. So Leone talks about this all the time. Like he's one of the toughest players to, to do math and projections on. So I would even like, I give Chubb basically like a three point bump in ceiling stuff when I run stuff usually. And we've seen weird stuff, right? Like the narrative, you know, he doesn't catch passes. That's going to be more Kareem hunt. But then we saw that jets game and he had more of a route participation than Kareem hunt. So like on a yeah. single game level, if like he's vibing, like they, they will just keep, using him too so i i agree he has to be one of the toughest guys to project and i was mentioning the mike williams you know in the top plays being the worst points per dollar play that's nick chubb 
yeah. I mean, I, I'm looking at this. You have to go all the way down to like Tony Pollard, Darrell Henderson to find a worse points per ceiling dollar play than Nick Chubb. <laughs> yeah. And I just, and I think both those guys, um, both those guys, Mike Williams and Nick Chubb, their floors are frustrating, but the ceilings are just otherworldly when, when they hit. So, yeah. Um, so that, uh, as usual, I, I always feel like I need to give this caveat, you know, I know a couple of weeks ago, or was it last week people were playing the, uh, the Denver stacks with the Adams bring back that we built on the show. I'm, I'm very happy when that works out again, the same thing, the, the light up building <laughs> exercise is a thought exercise. A lot is going to change literally during the recording of the show. Yeah. I could argue the slate has been flipped on its head a couple times. So, uh, make sure you're, uh, paying attention when you're building. Let me see how many spots are left in this deposit kingdom league here uh up to 350 so hop in the discord this will fill by lock i have the link in there rake free tournament dink you got uh when you guys recording establish the millions this week saturday morning 10 a.m uh eastern time we will we will be back at our usual time slate we've been uh, all around a little bit because we've each had some weddings to travel to and different stuff but 10 a.m on saturday yep uh you know, I, I, I doubt I'm, I'm talking about ETR for anyone who doesn't know about it, but, uh, just <laughs> great stuff over there, uh, with the, the GPP content, the, the ownership projections are spot on and, uh, really, really love seeing what those guys are thinking about on the slate. And it's mandatory because your opponents are consuming that too. So you need to know what your opponents are likely to do as well. I'll be back on Sunday morning for the GPP cram. I do that 1030 AM. That is for YouTube members only. If you become a YouTube member, the hand builders in Opto Bros tier, you get access to the channel in the discord where I post the best leverage plays for the showdown slates and those crams on Sunday morning. Please check out the Welly Maker. By the way, guys, I know we talked about it at the top of the show. Really good cause. And Drew, actually, in the Fantasy Life newsletter a uh, little bit back, uh, wrote up. We did an interview with him in there. And uh, it is a really good cause and really helps us, as you kind of explained, kind of like pull back and appreciate, you know, what we're able to do here. And it does really put things in perspective. Yeah. And 100% of those donations go directly to water projects. Nothing goes to the salaries or overhead of the company. Like it's all your, your money is straight impact and it's two times the impact while we're matching donations up to the first 40,000 this year. There you go. Make dink pay, make him match there. And, uh, we appreciate you guys have a great weekend. We will catch you on Sunday. Peace out.